four out of five Wednesdays are not this one. And this is not yet the final such day of this eighth month of 2022. To make today slightly more special, we can call it day 236, as good an occasion as any for episode 421 of Charlottesville Community Engagement, an occasional look and listen at a few things happening in local government in the area in and around the zip code 22903 or 22911 or any number of similar numbers originating from the same metropolitan statistical area. I'm Sean Tubbs, one of about 250,000 inhabitants of that MSA. On today's program, Charlottesville Area Transit has gotten an award from the Department of Rail and Public Transportation to operate a pilot on-demand project in Albemarle County. The president of Mary Baldwin University in Stanton will step down next June. Details on proposed rules to encourage creation of below-market housing units in Charlottesville. And Charlottesville's Board of Architectural Review declined to allow the city's Parks and Recreation Department to install metal grates on the three fountains of the downtown mall. In today's first subscriber-supported shout-out, since the very beginning of this newsletter, one longtime Patreon supporter has used his shout-out to draw your attention to the work of Plant Northern Piedmont Natives Campaign. The campaign is a coalition of grassroots partners, including motivated citizens and volunteers, partner organizations, and local governments who want to promote the use of native plants. Summer is coming to an end and pollinators are still active and you can prepare for next year. Want to learn more? Visit plantvirginianatives.org or download Piedmont Native Plants, a guide for landscapes and gardens. Thank you to that longtime Patreon supporter. The Virginia Department of Rail and Public Transportation has awarded a $1.5 million grant to Charlottesville Area Transit to operate a demonstration project for microtransit service in Albemarle County. That includes a match of $388,000 in local funds. The service could take up for a year to get underway. That's according to Lucinda Shannon, a transportation planner with the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission. Similar projects have been implemented at various stages across the nation. The city of Wilson, North Carolina, with a population of around 50,000 people, replaced its fixed route service with on-demand shuttles in September of 2020. Hampton Roads Transit is experimenting with an on-demand service through December of this year, with operations in Norfolk and Virginia Beach. According to a website for the service, you can ride anywhere within each service zone, but not between zones. The Albemarle County pilot will create on-demand transit zones in Pantops and the Places 29 North area. The demonstration funds have been awarded at the same time that the Thomas Jefferson District Commission continues to take input on the regional transit vision. The survey closes on September 15, 2022. Also related is a governance study that will soon be conducted to inform how a more robust transit system might be funded and administered in the future. The president of Mary Baldwin University in Stanton has announced she will retire at the end of next June, after two decades in the position. 
Pamela Fox has led the school through several years of transition, including a name change in 2016 to reflect the institution's addition of co-educational undergraduate opportunities as well as advanced degrees. According to a release, Fox's tenure as president is the longest in the school's 181-year history. Fox has spearheaded numerous major innovations, including launching a successful new branch campus and college for healthcare professionals, transitioning from a college to a co-ed university, and emphasizing a strong commitment to diversity and access to higher education. A search committee will be formed with the intent of naming someone by next spring to serve as Mary Baldwin University's 10th president. The summer of zoning review continues in Charlottesville, with the release this week of a document that is intended to increase the number of required homes that must be rented or sold at below market levels. HRNA Advisors has put together an analysis and recommendations for how a inclusionary zoning policy would work. Here is Callahan Seltzer, principal with HRNA, in a video sent out with a press release. The affordable housing plan adopted in March of 2021 calls for the city to design an IZ policy that supports Charlottesville's housing needs and creates affordable housing that meets the needs that the market will otherwise not address. Since 2007, the city has had an affordable housing fund in place to subsidize units. In March, Seltzer told council that nearly $46.7 million has been dispersed through this fund, though the city has struggled to keep track of the funding. For instance, there has been no housing coordinator in place for over two years. The affordable housing plan also calls for city taxpayers to pay $10 million a year toward projects and programs. The comprehensive plan adopted in November calls for more residential density across the city to allow for more units, and the inclusionary zoning policy is intended to prevent all of them from being market rate. HRNA advisors and the city has recommended an inclusionary zoning policy that requires affordable housing for any housing development that includes more than 10 units and offers incentives to any development with nine or less units that also include affordable housing. HR&A advises are suggesting the city aim to provide the affordability level at 60% of the area median income. With a term of 99 years, the affordable units must be equal in size to the market rate units and density bonuses and parking reductions would be part of the equation. There would be a density bonus of 25% for units 10 or more. And there will be a two unit bonus in the general residential areas and a four unit bonus in the medium intensity zones. In addition, there's a parking reduction of up to 50%. The full video runs for about 45 minutes and provides a detailed analysis of how the incentives may balance out the need for a property owner to charge higher rent. One page states clearly that subsidizing at high levels will cost more money. Another chart appears to state that it would be infeasible to rehabilitate existing single-family homes to achieve affordability, and that instead, new construction of buildings with taller heights could accomplish the goal. Public comment on the draft zoning approach and diagnostic will be taken through September 6th. City Council and the Planning Commission will hold a work session on September 27th. The survey forums are available in English and Spanish. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second Patreon-fueled shout-out, a group called Livable Seaville wants you to mark your calendar for August 31st 
for an educational talk about the next steps in the Seaville Plans Together initiative. They've invited James Reese, the city's director of Neighborhood Development Services, to talk about the rewrite of the city's zoning ordinance in an online webinar. The talk will include a presentation on the draft zoning diagnostic and approach report, as well as that inclusionary zoning study, as well as a market analysis that has yet to be released. The talk begins at 5.30 p.m. and will include a question and answer period. You can sign up to get your place at the virtual table for Livable Seaville's update on next steps for the Seaville Plans Together initiative. One more story today, and it took me a while to get to this one, but here we are. The city of Charlottesville has begun moving ahead with changes to the city's downtown mall, which will turn 50 in the year 2026. Last week, the Board of Architectural Review weighed in on one change requested by the city intended to make parts of it a little safer. Here's Jeff Werner, the city's historic preservation planner. This is a, um, a request from the city of Charlottesville to, uh, uh, to install metal grates at the three small fountains uh, located on the downtown mall. The situation we have is uh, that because of issues related to, to, to pedestrian safety, ADA accessibility concerns, uh, a decision was made at, at, to uh, install grates. The mall was designed by landscape architect Lawrence Halprin, and a multi-million dollar renovation was conducted in 2009. The city's Parks and Recreation Department oversees the mall's maintenance, including street furniture and trees. The BAR is often asked to weigh in on whether new features are consistent with Halprin's vision. This is a, a, a must-do uh, situation. Um, at least as far as the decision from the city goes, that, that something must be done. Werner has also been working on a nomination to recognize Halprin's design itself on the National Register for Historic Places. There's also a new downtown committee that's looking at various issues related to the mall. Here's James Fries, who serves as Werner's boss as Director of Neighborhood Development Services. The work of this committee will help us move away from kind of piecemealing our approach to the various issues as they come up. We bring them before you, we bring them before various um, boards, committees, and decision makers, that we can move more towards a proactive stance and a, and a, uh, and a coordinated stance, uh, something that looks more like a management plan for the future. The fountains are currently turned off but they are operational, according to Parks and Recreation's Deputy Director, Ryan Anthony. I know um, because I know previously before COVID, um, we had uh, a few um, gentlemen um, that uh, actually put soap in it. So almost every day you'd see bubbles coming out of the big fountain. Two of the fountains are within close proximity of outdoor cafe spaces rented by restaurants. There's also Central Place, which has barricades with chains intended to keep people out. Grates are being recommended to still allow people to interact and touch the water in the fountain. In my conversations with the ADA coordinator, what he's referred to in particular was the concern around um, the change in grade with no notification to somebody who's visually impaired. Anthony said it will be two to three months before the grates would be designed and installed. After that, the plan would be to turn the fountains back on. Members of the BAR suggested that the grates be considered temporary until a greater solution to the ADA issues be worked out. 
Here is BAR Chair Breck Gastinger, himself a landscape architect. I am really skeptical about the claim that this is an ADA issue. There's, there's really um, nothing in ADA that um, I could point to that, that this would be in violation of. There's very clear uh, visual visual difference between before the job drop. There's a textural difference. If you went to the Virginia Building Code, even that drop is allowable by Virginia Building Code. Gastinker said he thought the barriers that delineate cafe space near those fountains are much more serious impediments to accessibility. He said the purpose of these fountains is misunderstood, and putting grates on them would be against Halperin's intent. This is a fountain that is has several parts. It has a lifted up uh, volume of stone, a really massive piece of stone that's hovering above the ground. Um, the water doesn't shoot out of it. It spills out over the edges and then is given a texture by the shape of the stone and it falls into a basin. The basin is actually part of that design feature. Seeing the water land in the basin is the way that it was designed, and, and I feel that it's designed to be sat next to for people to even encourage people to put their feet into. Gastinger said the fountains are a sign that open space belongs to everyone. The promise that was made between the city and its citizens with the construction of the downtown mall uh, is is has been um, it's been compromised and the fact that the fountains have not even been on I feel is a failure of the city to live up to that promise that was made by the construction of the mall for many years there were no outdoor cafe spaces on the downtown mall that practice began as city council began to rent out space to restaurants on an individual basis the board appeared headed towards deferring a vote rather than voting to deny the grates altogether. Werner said there would be opportunities to talk about those bigger issues, but the city needed an answer to proceed. If you all defer it, and you can, um, it, 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 some very, very clear direction needs to be sent in what you're thinking. It cannot just be, do go, go try again. BAR member Sherry Lewis suggested a compromise of allowing the grates at the two smaller fountains on a temporary basis. Only because of the access when people cut through, um, and I still like to see them be opened, but um, I can see that, that design solution working there. However, Werner said the request from city management was for an up or down vote. Lewis made a motion to deny, and that motion passed unanimously. The Parks and Recreation Department can appeal the decision to City Council. And that's it for this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement. The summer slowdown at Town Crier Productions is somewhat in effect, but I am ramping up for more editions of this newsletter in the days to come. I have spent a couple of days on the business end, thanking new subscribers who have opted to pay. I write to everyone who does, and if you want to know what that looks like, you know what to do. And if you do subscribe, whether it's $5 a month, $50 a year, or $200 a year, Ting will match your initial payment. And if you sign up for their services, their online services, through this link in a newsletter, you will get a free standard installation, a $75 downtown mall gift card, and your second month for free. 
enter the promo code COMMUNITY for full effect. I'm not quite sure if I've ever stated in this podcast that I am a guest every Monday on WINA's Charlottesville Right Now with Courtney Stewart. There aren't a lot of meetings next week, so we're asking you what stories we might talk about next Monday. Do you have something that you would like to know? Drop me a line to info at infoseville.com and I will get to the research. You can check out a blog post about this on infoseville.com, which is the archives for all of the segments you read in this newsletter. Music in this podcast is produced either by myself or by Vraki, the DC sensation that's taking the storm by world. That's the sort of wisdom that can be gleaned by listening to the album Regret Everything, now available on Bandcamp. Thank you so much for listening. This is the one bit of impromptu, improvisational stuff I'll get to say in this installment of the program. And after this is over, you will hear a brief slightly brief thing about a new style of uh, talking that I might do in the near future. So you'll hear that just as soon as the bell rings. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for all of the people who have funded this program and who are continuing to, or maybe haven't yet, but soon will. I'm Sean Tubbs, the host of this program. We'll be back tomorrow with another installment. Thank you so much and goodbye. Hello, hello, how are you? I'm Sean Times, the host of Trying to the Community Engagement for another episode of fun, hilarity, and hijinks. Let's put this at the end, shall we? Yes, indeed. <laughs>